Good morning, guys. How are we? And yeah, like Kevin said, my name's Cody. I'm one of the members here. Can't get this thing back in my pocket. Um, I know some of you are thinking, dude, didn't we just have to suffer through this guy a couple weeks ago? Um, and you did, and I apologize for that. Um, so why don't we ask God to, uh, to help us get through, shall we? Uh, Father God, you are good. Um, You are kind. And God, just being here this morning for the worship has been enough to bless my soul. And if that's all we did, I know that we would be uh, just moved and we would be blessed by you. But God, this morning, would you, would you be with us as we walk through your word? Would your spirit um, bring this chapter to light in a way that maybe we, we haven't experienced before. Yeah, God, we, we need you and we ask for your presence here today. Would you be glorified in all that I say? And would you be glorified in, in how we respond and, uh, and how we worship the rest of this morning? Yeah, God, we love you. We praise you. We ask this in Christ's glorious and beautiful name. Amen. All right. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure none of you guys can relate to this, um, but I make a lot of stupid choices. A lot. Um, like, here's just a few examples. Um, grabbing a hold of keys that my sister shoved in an outlet was a shocking and stupid choice. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, punching a window of reinforced glass because my basketball team lost the game and I got kicked out with two technicals was a stupid choice. Yeah. Uh, my hand didn't appreciate that much. Jumping my newly built, untested mountain bike off of a six-foot cliff, causing me to endo over the handlebars and land on a rock, separating my clavicle, was a stupid choice, okay? Probably should have, you know, tested the bike a little bit before that. Watching a buck cross the road behind me and go into the timber instead of keeping my eyes on the road, rolling my truck into the ditch was a stupid choice. And a lot of you experienced that with me uh, last fall. I <laughs> uh, remember having to call Kevin sitting on top of the side of my truck. I'm like, hey, bro, uh, I need a ride. And he was like, I'd love to help, but I'm in a combine. And so it was good. Um, yeah, so those are all pretty stupid choices. Thankfully, none of those choices had a lot of, you know, long-lasting consequences other than the fact that I still don't have a truck, right. But I've made a lot of other stupid choices through my life, um, and some that could have or have had pretty significant consequences. In 2014, my family and I lived in Council Bluffs, um, that in itself may have been a stupid choice, but um, 
We were there, we were two years into church planting. I had just graduated from Bible college. Uh, and I was working at Home Depot as the pro accounts supervisor uh, in order to you know, support my family and pay the bills and all that kind of stuff. And as a supervisor, I had a couple guys underneath me uh, that I supported and kind of guided and, and helped in them, and they were my salesmen. Um, one of my salesmen was doing really, really well, really well. Um, we had gone from being the like, worst department in our district to being near the top because of him. And he was working really hard to grab a couple pretty big accounts. Uh, he'd been hustling. And so he was going on vacation. He, he's like, I just know that these accounts are going to get back to me while I'm on vacation. And I don't want to lose them. So he gave me his login information for his email. He said, I want you to check my email and respond to them to make sure that they know I'm going to get with them, I'll take care of them, all that stuff. Well, one of those accounts did get back to him, but not via email. The guy actually came into the store and was at my desk and wanted to talk to John, wanting to make a pretty big purchase. He wanted to buy 50 sets of washer and dryer, washers and dryers for this retirement home that he had just remodeled. Massive sale. So I'm like, I don't want John to lose the sale. I also know that this would look really, really good on, for me on my department if we made this sale. Because I'm like hoping that maybe I can get into assistant manager training and like all that. So I'm like, this will be awesome. So I make the choice to log in as John and create this sale. Building it underneath his account, doing all these things. And you're like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Like you're helping your, your guy out, you're making the sale, you're doing all these things. And it was, it was good. We made the sale, John got credit for it. About a month later, I get called into my store manager's office. I sit down with him and our district manager. And they're like, hey, corporate in Atlanta has heard a story that you used John's login information when he was on vacation. And then so I like admitted it, told them the truth. They're like, well, corporate's gonna do a four-week investigation and they're going to you know, tell you what their conclusions are at the end of those four weeks. And I'm like, well, what are we looking at? What's, what are we talking? He's like, well, best case scenario, you'll get put on probation and you'll probably not ever have a chance to move up any further in the company. I'm like, well, what are we talking worse? He's like, worse, you're terminated on the spot. I'm like, oh, okay. So four weeks goes by. I've had phone interviews with people in, in Atlanta, told them the exact same story every time, told them the truth. Yeah, I did this. Here's why I did this. You know, and they're like, well, Mr. Hinton, do you realize that that was a violation of our policies? I'm like, I understand that, but it's not like I it was cheating somebody or anything like that. Well, it was still a violation. End of those four weeks, I get the, the letter from my boss, my store manager, and he says, I need you to leave. You've been terminated, effective immediately. So I go home and I tell Kim, who is a stay-at-home mom with my three kids. My youngest, Carissa, is like four months old, I think, at this time. And now I'm without a job. I've got a church plant that 
uh, is not doing well. We had like three people join us in the back of, Ch- of a pizza ranch every Sunday. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what's gonna happen. How am I supposed to take care of my family? How am I supposed to take care of my kids? God, I feel like you called me here. Why is this going on? And like, yeah, I was at a loss. But I know that my choice, my stupid choice, led to all of that. But in, in that, I get a call from a buddy at a church in Indianola. And he's like, hey, I hear things are pretty rough. Let's have a conversation. And that leads to us moving to Indianola and then moving to Grinnell and doing more church planting, but ultimately led my family here to sacred mission to Collins and to you guys. And at least for us, it's been a blessing. You guys may have a different side of the story, but you know, for me and my family, it's been amazing. God used that stupid choice to take us on a journey that eventually led us into a place where we can flourish and we can thrive and we can experience the love of Jesus. In our passage this morning, we're gonna see something similar to that. So I know that I'm not the only one who makes stupid choices, although as we just saw, like I probably make way more of them than y'all do. But we have and, and will make stupid choices throughout our lives. We, we tend to live our lives as if we have to control everything. We tend to live our lives as if every situation has to be controlled by us and we forget that there is this sovereign God who loves us. Either by habit or by choice, we completely lose sight of this loving, sovereign God. And that's exactly what happened in this story, in this passage that we'll look at today. We're gonna be in Genesis 27, if you wanna turn there in your Bibles. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. Um, But as we walk through this chapter, as we walk through chapter 27, we're gonna see this, and this is kind of my big idea for the day, my main kind of thing I want you to walk away with. And it says that it's this, when we live according to our desires and abilities, we show a lack of faith in God. But in his sovereignty, he uses our choices to fulfill his divine plan. We'll see today that we are not powerful enough or important enough to thwart what God has planned. He is sovereign, and thankfully, he is good, and he is loving. So let's jump in here to verse one. It says this, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, and he answered, here am I. He said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt. Uh, Hunt game for me and prepare for me a delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. 
So Isaac, we've seen him the last few weeks. Isaac is the promised son of Abraham uh, and Sarah. He's the one that God has been promising for many, many decades, and it's finally come. And now Isaac is an old man. He's probably uh, about 140 years old at this time, um, which, I mean, that's old. And, you know, and so like when it says his eyes were dim, it makes sense. You know, like I'm 41-ish now, right? Uh, and everything about me is dimming. You know, and so at 140, I can imagine. So it says he's, he's old, his body is beginning to, to fail him. He can't see very well. And even though like Isaac is going to end up living for another 40 years, uh, he senses death is near and he feels the need to pass on his blessing and name his heir. And as we saw like real briefly a few weeks ago in chapter 25, when Esau and Jacob were born, God had promised them that in this whole thing, these twins were being born, that Jacob was going to end up leading and ruling over Esau, that Esau would serve his, young, his younger brother, right? So what we see is, in spite, or despite this, in spite of God already telling kind of, hey, here's what's going to happen, Isaac plans to bless Esau and to make him the heir of all that he has. He asks Esau to go hunting and make him a meal uh, from his kill. And, a, and upon his return, he would bestow a blessing up upon him. And what we see is that Rebecca hears this and she has different plans. She has different plans. Even though she was there too when God said, hey, Jacob's gonna be the one through which I'm gonna make my my plans happen. Jacob's gonna be the one through which my promises are gonna be fulfilled. But still, she, she hears this and she gets angry, and so she starts to connive and to, to plan to, to trick her husband. So we pick up in verse five. Now, Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare for them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to me, your father, to bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a really hairy man and I'm smooth. He said, perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. And his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son, only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So like Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah, they decide to take matters into their own hands. That's kind of this theme that we've seen throughout the book of Genesis, right? God comes to Abraham and is like, hey, I'm going to give you a son, and he's going to be the father of many, many nations, and you're going to be this great name. And what do, what do they do? Sarah's like, hey, sleep with my servant. Let's do it that way, right? And so like Rebekah kind of and Isaac are doing the same thing. God's already told them, hey, here's how things are going to happen. Here's how I'm going to make things work. And Isaac's like, I, I don't want to bless Jacob. I'm going to bless my oldest. And 
uh, Rebecca's like, yeah, I don't want Esau to be blessed. I'm gonna, I want Jacob to be blessed. And so they're like, all these things, like, let me just do it on the way I want to do it. Let me do it on my own. And what we see is that, like them, we are all prone to take matters into our own hands. Right? We want to control everything. And too often we live as if God is not in control and we live as if God is not sovereign. So Jacob does all that his mother tells him. He goes and he kills two goats and he brings them to her. She cooks a meal and takes the skin of those goats and she places it on his arms and she places it on his neck. And then she takes Esau's best garment, which the passage says was in her tent already, and she puts it on Jacob. I read that and I found that pretty interesting that uh, even Esau, who's an old man, who's even probably at this time about 60 years old, still has his mom doing his laundry. You know, He has two wives, they're not capable of doing it, so he gives it to mom. So she takes the garment, she puts it on Jacob. She's like, all right, you feel hairy, you're dressed like Esau, you smell like Esau, now let's just hopefully make it so you can talk like Esau, and I want you to go, and I want you to steal this blessing from your brother. So Jacob takes the meal and the bread, and he takes it to his father. He enters his father's tent and introduces himself as Esau. Isaac is skeptical, and he asks him several times, he's like, are you sure you're my oldest son? Are you really sure you're Esau? He's like, you, you don't sound like Esau. Let me come, you know, like come here and let me touch you. And so he like touches his arms and he's like, all right, yeah, you're, you're hairy. You still sound like Jacob though. But I guess maybe it's just my old ears playing tricks. But even after feeling the hairy hands, he's not quite convinced. So he asked Jacob to give him the meal. And so Jacob gives him the meal and gives him a bunch of wine. I mean, it can't hurt to like when you're tricking your dad to get him drunk, you know? And so he gives him a bunch of wine. And so Isaac blesses his son. Isaac blesses Jacob. Verse 26, we see the blessing. His father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. That's why they put the hair on his neck because they knew like if he came close, he'd probably grab the back of his head. He says, kiss me. And he kissed him, and Isaac smelled with the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, he smells like my son. The smell of my son is as the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Isaac's blessing here echoes the blessings and the promises that we've seen God give to Abraham and his descendants throughout the book of Genesis. He asked God to prosper Jacob with abundant crops. God has promised to prosper Abraham's descendants, and Isaac declares that people and nations, including his brother, will all bow down to him. And we see that that's exactly what God promises to Abraham. It says, your descendants are gonna be great and mighty, 
Nations will bow to them. So he echoes this promise. It's this this theme that keeps going through the book of Genesis that God is choosing a people and he's going to bless them. He's gonna do mighty things through them. But then he also echoes the blessing here where he says, blessed are those who bless you and cursed will be those who curse you. So we see that Jacob leaves his right as soon as the blessing's over. Jacob's like, I'm not hanging around any longer than I have to because I figure I'm probably gonna mess up and my dad's gonna know that I'm not Esau. So he leaves as soon as he's blessed. And it's, it's interesting, it says that they kind of, he and Jacob kind of almost crossed, crossed paths as they were going. Like it says, as Jacob's leaving, Esau shows up, right? Like instantaneously. And Esau proudly offers his dad this meal and understandably confused, Isaac's like, uh, who are you? And he's like, I'm Esau. He's like, no, no, Esau was just in here, right? And like, all of a sudden it clicks in, I, in Isaac's mind. And it says he begins to tremble when he realizes that he blessed Jacob instead of blessing Esau. So what does Esau do? He begs, he begs his father to bless him instead. Verse 34, it says this, as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me even also, O my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? If you guys remember Jacob, when they were born, Jacob actually means like one who grabs the heel. It's this idea of, of being a liar and a trickster, right? And Esau's like, He's, he's living up to his name, right? The dude's just a jerk. For he has cheated me these two times. He also cheated his brother out of his birthright. We saw that a couple chapters ago, right? And it was over food, both times. He has tricked me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Like, haven't you just held back a little bit just for me? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him Lord over you and all his brothers. I have given to him for servants and with grain and wine, I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, my father and Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Now, I know this, this can kind of seem confusing for us because it's like, you know, I can walk in on a Sunday morning and be like, and look at BJ and be like, brother, bless you. You're amazing. Let God do, do great things for you, right? And I can do the same thing for Kevin or for anybody else in here when I see them. Bless you, man. Let God be kind to you this week. And we're like, yeah, I, I have multiple blessings that I can give. Like, why is this such a big deal? Why is this thing, like, limited here? And what we need to understand is that blessings back then were more like, like last will and testaments, right? It was kind of a way to pass on everything that you have. Today, when a, a family member or a parent passes away, they have a will that, like, lays out, here's everything I own, and here is who it's going to. Right? And a lawyer comes in and they look at it and they divvy up the things and do all the stuff legally that has to be done, right? 
That's how we do it. It's all written out on a piece of paper or like in an email, you know, however digital things we do now. But this is laid out through a person's will. And, but at the time of this story, at the time of this passage, these people were a, more of an oral culture. All of their history and their traditions, they passed down through stories by telling them. That's, they would sit around the campfire at night and they would tell long stories of their history, of their you know, grandparents and their great-grandparents, their aunts and uncles. And so for them, they didn't have a lot of legal documents that they wrote down because paper wasn't that prevalent. And so they would pass on their will through, through words and through blessings. So when it says that Isaac has no other blessing to give to Esau, it's because he literally just said, everything I have is now going to Jacob. He is the one who is going to be my heir. He is going to run the family business, and I can't take that back. It's almost like a legally binding contract. So even though this normally would go to the firstborn, we see, we see that this is not what God intended. He said from the very beginning, I'm going to do things differently here, and I'm going to have my blessing and my spiritual blessing go through to the secondborn, to Jacob. One of the things we also see throughout Scripture when it comes to these blessings is that there's more of a spiritual aspect to it than just a normal blessing. When we see these guys say a blessing over their sons, it's almost as if they're being prophetic we saw this with Noah and his sons, and we see this with Abraham and Isaac. Like When they speak this blessing over them, it's almost as if God is speaking through them, saying, not only am I making you my heir and giving you everything, I'm also going to kind of tell you what your future is going to be like. And what we see throughout Scripture is it almost always comes true. These are prophetic words that talk about here's how things are going to work out. Jacob is going to rule over his son or his brother. Jacob is going to be blessed. So now we're left with what does Isaac do? His oldest son is there begging him for a blessing, begging him for something. And Isaac can't give him a blessing, so he gives him something else. And the only thing left to give is the opposite of what he gave to Jacob. Verse 39, he says this. Isaac, his father, answered him and said, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall you dwell, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But then you grow, when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Isaac says almost the exact opposite to Esau that he says to Jacob. Jacob, you're going to be blessed. You're going to live off the land and it's going to produce for you. And Esau, you're going to have to live where the land is desolate, where the land won't produce. Jacob, you're going to rule over people. You're going to have authority. Esau, your life is going to be marked by war and conflict. But, he says, it won't be forever. He says, when you grow restless, you're going to break the yoke that your brother has on you. 
from your neck. And as we go through the rest of Genesis, we're going to see that happening. There's a time where these two brothers will come back to each other and they'll reconcile. But Esau's life is not going to be blessed. It's going to be plagued with conflict, with war, with bitterness. This angers Esau. And he vows to kill his brother. But if you look in the passage, it's interesting. He says, I will kill Jacob. I will kill him for this, but I probably should wait till my dad dies. Like, I should probably wait until like, there's not gonna be any other consequences. So he, he has this plan, but he doesn't just go into his brother's tent and try to kill him right away. He says, no, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna be strategic about this. I'm gonna think through this. And it's interesting also as we continue on reading that Rebecca who must have had spies throughout all of Isaac's you know, like property and employments and stuff. Because like she hears what, what Esau says. It gets back to her that Esau is now going to try to kill her favorite son, Jacob. So she again brings Jacob into her tent and says, hey, your brother's going to kill you. I know you've, you obeyed me to this point and it's worked out. You were blessed and stuff, but you're going to need to leave. I'm going to need you to run away to my brother Laban, who if we saw a few weeks ago, that's about a, a month journey from where they're at now, maybe a little longer. He's like, so I need you to go up there, and I want you to live with my brother Laban until I tell you it's okay to come back. So like, I'll send for you when Esau kind of cools down a bit and maybe just wants to beat you up instead of killing you. Right? So go, live with my brother and so Jacob does that. He packs up and he leaves. And we see that Rebecca like, is trying to manipulate everything still. So she goes to Isaac and she makes up this thing like, hey, Esau's wives are pretty terrible. And they came from our neighbors, like the Hittites. I'm sending Jacob back home to my brother to get a wife from there. Because obviously I came from there and I'm better than you know, my daughter-in-laws. So Jacob's like, or Isaac's like, yeah, let's do it. That's awesome. Let's make this happen. So Jacob leaves, Re Rebecca is like, all right, I'll see you again, I'll call you when it's okay to come home. And what's interesting is that she never gets that chance. She ends up dying before Jacob ever returns home. This is the last time she'll ever see her son again. So again, what we see throughout this passage, throughout this story, that when we, when we live according to our desires and our abilities, when we take things into our own hands, we show this lack of faith in God. We reveal that our, our heart really doesn't trust the creator of the universe. And yet what happens is our God is big enough and sovereign enough and loves us enough that even when we make stupid choices and even when we go against his purposes and his plans, he brings about exactly what he wants to bring out about. Knocked over my coffee. He will make his promises and his plans fulfilled and come to fruition regardless of how we live or choose to live. He is that big, he's that powerful, and he's that loving. 
that doesn't give us an excuse then to say, all right, I'm gonna make stupid choices and God's gonna take care of it. There are consequences, and we see that in this story. There are consequences to making stupid choices, to trying to live on our own. One of the consequences here is that Rebecca will never see her son again. She never gets to meet his kids, and he has a lot of them. That's a consequence. The consequence of Jacob's decision and choices is he has to flee from home. And he, he eventually will get to his, his uncle's property and his uncle's house, and he's gonna be deceived and tricked just like he was, de- he was deceptive, like he tricked others. There are consequences to making stupid choices, but we can trust that God is still good and God will make whatever he wants to make happen, happen. So uh, a few questions for us this morning as we close and as we prepare for communion. Where do you find yourself in this story today? A lot of times I know the tendency is when we read biblical stories that we make ourselves out to be the good guy. We make ourselves out to be the hero, right? Like I'm usually David facing Goliath. I'm not Goliath. I'm definitely not those Israelites cowering in the corner, right? I'm David. But we need to look at this story and realize that is there really a hero in this story, in these characters? There is, and the hero's God. So outside of that, where do you find yourself in this story? Which character are you? Do you lack faith and trust in God's plan? So you're trying to do all these things on your own. You're trying to control everything. So you're worrying and you're fretting over everything because you you think that I have to make it happen. If I don't do it my way, it's not gonna turn out well. So I have to be the one in control. God's not gonna do this the way I think he should. Or maybe if he does, I'm not gonna like it. Is that you this morning? If that is, would you, would you give that all to Jesus? Would you, would you give that to the cross? See, we're not meant to be in control. The Bible tells us that our hearts are deceitfully wicked and our mind will deceive us. If we were doing this on our own, we're gonna screw it up. So would you, would you take that control and would you, would you give it to God this morning? Would you surrender and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to have this because I've messed up enough I've screwed things up enough and I need you to take this from me. Maybe you're the one in this story who's being driven by your fleshly desires. Maybe, maybe you're, you're making decisions and, and, and acting out on impulse based on what makes you feel good or what you think will satisfy you in the moment. Do you give away eternal satisfaction and blessing for quick momentary pleasures? This is what we see in Esau. 
He gives away his birthright because he was hungry and wanted food from Jacob. Now he gives away his blessing because he wants to go hunting and, he want, and his dad is being driven by his stomach. So are you being led by your flesh? Are you being led by impulsive desires? Would you this morning repent and ask Jesus to be your satisfaction? So we're told in scripture is that Jesus wants to be our all in all. He wants to be everything that we need. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 90, and that's the entire gist of that Psalm is that we need to be satisfied in what God has given us. So would you be satisfied in Jesus this morning? Maybe you're here and you, you struggle with allowing the anxiety of others to manipulate you. You allow their worries or their like impulses to dictate who you are. And instead of being what God created you to be, you, you are like a chameleon and you morph into whatever you think will please them. You allow their anxieties, you allow their frustrations to, to dictate what your heart feels. Jacob very clearly knew his mother's plan was not a good one and questioned it over and over and over again. But ultimately he gave in to her demands. He did what she asked him to do. So this morning, would you, would you ask God to show you who you are in him? Would you ask him to speak words of truth to you this morning? Because I know it's easy for us to like want to please people. And it's easy for us to like maybe not be who we think God has called us to be or, or who we know God has called us to be because we don't want to offend someone or we don't wanna get them mad at us, or we just, we wanna avoid conflict, and we know that if, if I don't go with how, with what they're saying, if I don't go the direction they're telling me, there's gonna be conflict. I just, I just don't wanna deal with that right now. Would you ask God to show you and give you boldness in who he's called you to be? We just talked earlier in our confession and, and stuff that God has created all of us for good works. We're his workmanship. We're his masterpiece. And he's created you the way you are for a reason. Don't allow others to change that. Ask God to show you who he sees you as this morning, who he calls you to be. Maybe you're here and you've been hurt by someone. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been betrayed or feel like you've been betrayed and you're angry and bitterness is, dwell, is welling up inside you and, and you're, you want revenge in some form. Maybe not to the extent of wanting to kill your brother, but you want to get payback or you want to be vindicated in some way. Which would you just lay that on the cross this morning? Would you give that to the one who was betrayed in a greater way than we ever could be? 
would you give that to the one who has been hurt more than we will ever be hurt? Because it was our treachery, it was our betrayal that put him on that cross. Would you give that to Jesus this morning? Would you allow him to forgive you and to give you forgiveness? Because he's forgiven us of way more than we could ever need to forgive someone else. Finally, this morning, maybe you're here and your eyes have been dimmed to the sun. Maybe you've been blinded to who Jesus really is. Because there's a son who doesn't want to deceive you, but wants to take away your worries and your burdens. He wants to bear your, all the ultimate consequences of your stupid choices on him and the cross. Would you ask him this morning to open your eyes to who he is, to what he's called you into? Would you ask him to reveal himself to you this morning? His invitation is for all of us today. It's a, it's a call to surrender, really. Whether we're surrendering the hurts, the control, the self-righteousness, or maybe we're surrendering our lives for the first time to Jesus. He's inviting you this morning to surrender. And really, that's, that's the invitation of, of this. So I'm gonna ask those who are gonna be serving us communion today to come up. Um, and that's, that's what this is. This is an invitation for that. It's an invitation to, to come before him and, and lay it all down. It's an invitation to, to seek forgiveness. It's an invitation to seek identity. It's an invitation to seek Jesus. And while this is, this is something that is an invitation for those of us who've given our lives to Jesus, those of us who have, who have asked, dang it, who have asked uh, God to, to renew us and to save us, the invitation is, is also for those who haven't this morning. So if you're surrendering this morning for the first time to Jesus, would you, would you do that? Would you come to him instead of coming to this table? But for the rest of us, would we come asking God to show us what he wants us to see this morning? Asking us, or asking God to show us what parts of our heart maybe we haven't surrendered yet? So take some time and, and, and pray, and then we'll, we'll come down this center aisle We'll be given the bread, um, and then we'll take the wine or juice. Would you obey your conscience there? And then we'll return back to our seats and come back up, and, and we'll take this all together as family, as family who have been called by a loving Savior.